Well, good morning. I hope that video spoke volumes to you. Uh, we thought it was very appropriate. It was really cool. We were kind of worried about time today because we had so much going on. And thanks to uh, Brent, Dave, everything just went so smoothly. We're right on target time-wise. And we wrestled because that, minute, that was a three-minute video. Did we have? I know you say, well, three minutes, but believe me, every minute matters in worship. One, because your time is valuable, but two, also, we want to honor God in everything that we do. And so, praise God for the video. It's very touching. We're really glad you're here today. Thank you. It's a wonderful crowd today. I really know. I knew we had some folks out of town um, this weekend. Of course, prom. Thank you guys for being here. that went to prom um, last night for honoring God with your presence here. And just a great turnout. We're very glad that you're here. And, and the message today, I, I, I did target those who are graduating. I, I, I had you guys in mind, but I want you to know it's really all of us. I mean, and I mean that too. I mean, I'm not trying to say, if you're not graduating, you know, at least try to make the best of it. You're going to see today in the message, if God will allow me to get out right, and I will honor God with that, that it really applies to every one of us. Um, whether you're a male or female, whether your name is Martin or Paula, or whether your name is, you know, Joe or, or Sue, whether you are young or old, black or white, this message really, really applies. And it's entitled, Unfollow. Unfollow. It's no secret, the statistics tell us, that 70% of high school graduates who attend church, when they go off to college, 70% of them unfollow for about a year or more, and a, a large portion of them never come back. Never come back. We, we'll see today that, that as we look at following Jesus, there are different times in our life, and more than graduation, there's times in our life when we are very uh, tempted, is a good word, tempted to unfollow Jesus. And so we want to look today at what the Word of God says. And it's a great scripture. If you'll take your Bibles, look at John chapter 6. It's just an incredible, incredible scripture. I've already decided that we're going to leave the last part off. We'll probably teach that next Sunday night, maybe, because uh, I really want to stay focused. Again, not for time, but I just want to really narrow down on, on what we want to talk about, the topic of unfollowing. Now, I've got several female voices that I listen to in my life. Um, about 2007 and 2008, um, Judy, I, and Annette Franks went to uh, Metropolis First Baptist Church to do, talk to them about Niger. We were in Niger at that time and missions. And we were going down there, and she had a vehicle. And that vehicle had a, kind of a new technology called GPS. And um, I got in the vehicle, and she said, well, we need to put this address in. And we're messing with it, trying to figure it out, because it really was new, te- new, new, new technology. And I was amazed. I am a gadget person through and through. I said, Nanette, what is this? What does it do? So when you put the address in, it actually tells you where to go. You know, it tells you the way to get there and all that. And, and so that night, there are a couple things happened. One, God really blessed in our meeting. And two, I determined I was going to get a GPS. And again, it was new technology. They're really pricey. They're, I think they were over $200 in. So I got a TomTom, and that was one of the brands that they had. Of course, my particular TomTom was a little bit sick. Okay, I never forget Peggy. I don't know if you remember this or not, but that was right around the time that that Norm passed away, and um, we determined that we would stay and do Norm's funeral and then drive over to Branson for vacation. And so I told, I put it in Tom Tom. It said it's going to take like nine hours, you know. And, and then I said, No, I think I can be there by this time. And Peggy, you said, No, I don't think you can be there that time. And she goes, I said, I'll bet you an Italian cream cake. I know, Pastor, I'll do anything for Italian cream cake, okay? Well, the bottom line is I won, didn't I? 
I, like my 15 minutes, I was able to get there. But no thanks to, to, the, to the female voice in Tom Tom. I know Tom Tom's boy and female voice. And so, you know, the thing would tell you, turn right here and turn left there, you know. And I listened generally. Well, things got better. So now I have a Garmin, and I, I willfully choose a female voice because we guys sometimes need to hear that female voice. And, you know, generally speaking, I do pretty good. And by the way, the other female voice is Judy. Okay? All right? And the third um, female voice is Siri on my iPhone. And usually I ask her questions, and she tells me what to do. I mean, that's kind of the job of females sometimes in a male's life, you know? And, you know, just, just what they do. So anyway, and so really now, I mean, my Garmin is really, really accurate. I mean, I can go in there and I'll say, you know, I want to go to Evansville Hospital, Deacon's Hospital. And, and Brittany, you can almost tell it's going to do it. I mean, she says, turn right here, turn left there, and all that, you know? And, and I do it. But sometimes, now you know this, sometimes we men are a little bit stubborn. And we'll think we know better. And so we will unfollow our Garmin. We will unfollow that voice that has a map inside of it and a computer inside of it that tells us to turn right. And we think we know better and we decide not to turn right. And we get lost. And then, fortunately, the little voice in the Garmin doesn't go, I told you so. You know? Well, it's one thing when you're lost going driving, but what happens when you unfollow the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, it's really a traumatic thing. And that's exactly what happens in John chapter 6. Now, it's a hugely long chapter, and we're going to talk just a little portion at the end. But I kind of want to set the story up because it's very important. It's something like this. So, you remember the story in Sunday school about Jesus feeding the 5,000? Actually, it was 5,000 guys, plus all the girls, plus all the children. So some people say like a crowd of 9,000. So he takes a few loaves of bread. He takes some fish, you know, and he asks God to bless it. And, and he starts breaking bread. And the whole group is fed that day. I mean, everybody was fed. And, and, and they took up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I always figured out one for each of the, the apostles, you know, to take home. Remember that, that you know, God, with all, God, all things are possible. So... You can imagine that, particularly if they were Baptists that day. You know, they really liked that food thing going on. And so they said, you know, this is exactly the kind of Messiah we need. This is exactly, we need a bread Messiah. So they started talking about Jesus being king. And so they wanted to make Jesus king, Jesus king, Jesus king. And Jesus was going to be king and is king, but not that way and not that time. So what he does is he gets in a boat and goes to Capernaum, which is across the sea, or across the Sea of Galilee there. So he goes across the ocean, uh, across the sea. Now, actually, he stays behind and prays, and the, and the guys are out there, and, and he comes later, and he walks on the water. Hello? You want to follow the guy who can walk on the water. And so he walks on the water, he meets the guys, and they end up in Capernaum. So he goes to teach at the synagogue. So he's teaching, and he starts noticing that a whole lot of the crowd that was there was there for the, the feeding of the 5,000. They had probably hundreds. They had followed him over to Capernaum to see what else he could do. And so they begin saying, again, these are my words, not, not the uh, translation exactly, but basically they start saying, do something, Jesus. Do something. Do another miracle. We really like that bread thing you did. Why don't you do something else? So Jesus sees a teaching opportunity. So he sees us that, and so he says, well, guys, here's the deal. I am... Um, I am, well, first off, God has more for you than physical bread. And I, if, again, if they're bad, they go, what do you mean? You mean there's something besides pecan pie or Chinese cream cake? You, you mean that? Well, Jesus said, you know, there's more. God has more of that. And this is this. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And, and, and the people go, I don't think so. Now, 
Now, see, we know Mary and we know Joseph. And uh, you didn't come down from heaven like you were born the regular way. So they started this debate with him. And Jesus starts teaching and teaching. And slowly, now I'm going to be very candid with you. Slowly, he starts saying some things that had to seem weird. He started saying things like, well, no, I'm not the bread of heaven. But you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, just I told Judy, can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine stepping back in those times and there's a, we have a revival at the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem and, and they decide to have a guest speaker come in and part of the guest speaker's rabbi's teaching is that you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, it really weirded them out. It really freaked them out to the point where he started losing the crowd. And so we're, that's where we want to kind of pick it up. In verse number 63, we kind of want to look at that because they missed it. I mean, by now, when he started talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, I mean, they were zoned out. They were weirded out. They weren't hearing anything else he was going to say. But in the process of 63 and 64 and 65 of John chapter 6, he really says four key things that are very important. And again, these are just, just part of the sermon today. But, you know, it's it amazing how in the safety of this building, we feel comfortable hearing teachings. I mean, out in the mind, if we're reading our Bible, you know, and we saw somebody walk by, we may close the Bible. If we're at school, you know, and we carry a Bible, we make sure it's in a non-see-through you know, backpack. We have a tendency to, be, to have fear outside the building. Well, well, that was hard for them because of what he taught. And sometimes it's hard for us outside this building. But we're in the building today. And Jesus says four things that I think are very, very, very important. They're key teachings. First of all, he says this in verse 63. The Spirit, capital S, let's talk about God's Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Isn't that powerful? Now, again, we're assuming we're, you know, we're Jesus followers. So that should have some kind of power with you today. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh doesn't help out at all. And that is so true. It's true when we come to God. It's true when we come to God. You know, everything that, that we do, when we talk about the cross, we talk about the sacrifice that occurred on the cross, we talk about the, the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are figuring out, and I, you've been hearing this over and over again from probably every pastor you've listened to recently, and that is this. We have nothing to bring to the table when it comes to us and our relationship with God. I mean, we can't bring good works, we can't bring our money, we can't bring baptism, we can't bring our performance. It's all by God's amazing grace. That's all it is. I mean, you can't go to church enough. I know some of you husbands, you know, say, okay, God, you know, I, I will go to church. You know, this is the thing men wrestle with too, is church attendance. Okay, God, I will go to church 40 times out of 52 this year, you know, if you'll get me into heaven. Well, we can't bring any of that. It's all by God's incredible, amazing grace. The Spirit brings life and the flesh can do nothing. What a great teaching. It's true when you're coming to God. But it's also true in life. It's true in life. Really. Come on now. Be honest. Now, you know, again, graduates, this is where you get a little tidbit. Because I was up here. And I'm hearing all these incredible degree ideas and, and vocations that you guys have chosen. I mean, you're mastering it. You know, you're, you're going into school for nursing and all these great things. Diesel mechanics. I got a joke about that. Remind me, take, I'll tell you later, okay? You know, but, but, you know, all these incredible things. I mean, my, my degree would have been in, re, you know, in, in recess. You know, I, you know I, that's probably what I'd have done. It's incredible. But you, you're smart enough to know this. Take a look at the world today. And you'll see that 
money and influence and prosperity and popularity and all those different things don't bring true life. You know, it's true when we're living that life. When Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That translates in the Greek, the life that is truly life. And you're going to discover as you embark on your life today, and some of you in midlife are discovering it, and some of us are looking back at our lives and we're going, you know, did we, you know, how did it turn out? How many regrets do we have? That if money and prestige and power and all that is your goal, it does not satisfy. I mean, come on. The new car only lasts a while. The new house only lasts a while. The promotion, the name tag on the door only lasts a while. If we really are going to have, and again, in this environment, we're safe saying this. If we really want to discover what life is about, we find it in Jesus Christ. We really do. So, so, so this, this idea that the Spirit is the one who gives life, the flesh doesn't help at all. It's true when we come to God, but it's true also as we live as believers in Jesus Christ. Then he says this. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And boy, is that true. You know, he's talking about the words of Christ, but certainly that the word of God is certainly equates here to John chapter 6 and the whole word of God. And I know the Bible's under attack today. Some of you are going to be heading off to college and people are going to tell you the Bible's not true. Some of you go to work and they tell you the Bible's not true. Um, some of you are going to go to school on, on Monday and the Bible's not true. The Bible's not true. And you know, I kind of wrestle with that. Now, I, don't, I don't ask for just blind faith. But, you know, if something's been around, well, 4,000 years for some of it. But let's just go back 2,000 years ago to the New Testament. And it's still around today, followed by well over a third of the big people in the world. That's like two and a half billion people that identify Jesus with God, identify this as the Word of God. has not undergone any, re- re- any um, uh, rewrite. I've lost the word. Thank you. Revision. Thank you, Peter. See, she helps me. She gives me the word. There's been no revision. None. You kind of, come on now. I don't care what your professor says. I don't care what the work, the guy you work with says. I don't care if you're the vice president and the president says. Come on, if something's been around 2,000 years and over a third of of the world's population, believe it and follow it, you got to give it something. And this this Bible that people want to throw away, you know, and, and discount, has proven itself over time. And, and Jesus said, the words that I spoke to you, they're spirit and life. And then he says this. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. So, so the third thing he says is, is, do you have the real deal? You know, are, are you, have you made the real decision to follow Jesus? Or are you along for the ride? You know, something that scares me. You know, with my grandchildren, and my children, and me, and Judy, and you, is that, are you riding on someone else's faith, or are you riding on yours? You know, some little preacher came up with the cutesy saying that God doesn't have grandchildren. And, and I really pray that, you know, when Jesus said that there are some who weren't going to believe, it scares me that every week, week after week after week, and every pastor could say this, virtually every pastor. That every week there are people who have their name on a roll, who, who are Baptists, who have been dunked, who have done this and done that. But they really have not made that commitment and trusted in the grace of God and that decision to follow Jesus Christ. Very good people, very religious people. Some people are still resting on, and, and students, this is true. You know, 
Do you show up every Sunday? Are you a follower because your mom and dad are followers? Are you a follower today because that's what you're supposed to do? Are you a follower because your dad said you can't go to prom unless you get them to go to church the next day? Or are you here because it's meaningful to you? I'll tell you why that's important. Because in three or four months, most of you will be going to a school away from home. And no one's going to be there to tell you on Sunday morning to get up and go to church. Now, again, I'm quitting. I know I'm quitting following Jesus or church, but I know they're not the same, but they kind of go together. You're going to be on a campus somewhere where a lot of the people here, everybody goes, yay, Jesus. You're going to a campus where most people don't go, yay, Jesus. And the anchor point that you've got to have is that my faith is real. It's not my mama's faith. It's not my daddy's faith. It's not my extended family's faith. It is Mine. So I really want to I really want to encourage you today. You know, if you're interested in spiritual things, and obviously you're here, but if you're interested in that, that you make sure that your faith belongs to you. And I pray that for my grandchildren. I've got a 13-year-old, and I pray, God, I don't want her to have grandpa's faith or grandma's faith or mom and daddy's faith. I want her to have her faith. I want her to be anchored. So when that time comes, that she'll be steadfast and sure in what she believes about Jesus, the Jesus of the cross, his atonement, and God's grace. So, so we want to be sure that, that, again, there were some who didn't believe. I don't, want, I don't want any of us to be among the unbelievers. I want us to be among the believers. And then he says this, 65. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me, Jesus, unless it is granted to him by the Father. Let me read that again. It's a good verse. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. In other words, we don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And, and, and what, I, what I want to point to that is it's, it ties in with this, the third one was this. Were you compelled by God or was it the great escape? In other words, when you made that decision to follow God... Was it, did you feel like something inside? And I don't know how to describe it. I don't think there's words. But you felt this pull that said at that point, whether you were in your bedroom, whether you're in a preaching service like this, whether you're in revival, whatever it was, you felt this drawing, this, the Christian words, conviction, this drawing of God that said, I want you. I'm calling you. And you may have even felt like bad because there was this conviction thing going on. You felt guilty. You felt a weight of your sin on your life. All these emotions were going on. And let me tell you what that is. That's God drawing and God pulling. Did you feel that? And did you respond to that? Or was it the great escape? In other words, did your wife walk in and say, it's over, baby. I've had enough of your non-commitment. I've had enough of your lies. I've had enough of your fooling around. I'm done. And all of a sudden, you want to get real religious. So you come to my office or another pastor's office and, boy, I want to trust Jesus. I want to do this. You know, I'll do anything to save my marriage. I'll do anything to save my job. They call me stealing from work. I'll do anything to steal my job. I'll do anything to get. And that's the great escape. Again, Jesus said you come because the Father draws you, not because you're in trouble. Now, God can use trouble to draw you, but you have to be drawn by God. So again, anchor point. Look back at your salvation experience. Were you running from something or running to something? Were you running from trouble or were you running to God being pulled by the creator of the universe into a relationship with him? 
Now, they missed all that. I mean, they missed, again, already some of you are thinking lunch. Well, they, they totally missed it. They're, they're out there going, drink my blood, eat my flesh. What is going on? And, and so what happens is, in verse 9, this is, this is really the crux of the message. So in verse 66, the Bible says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Now, understand the word disciple there is a general term for the crowd that followed Jesus. I mean, masses followed Jesus usually. The, 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 the 12 apostles, when he, says, when he speaks to the 12, that's the apostles. But this is a term, a broad term for people who would follow Jesus. And so they got so weirded out. With the drinking blood and eating flesh and I came down from heaven and I'm the bread of life. And they quit following. They said, Jesus, we really appreciate the free lunch. And Jesus, it's really cool all the miracles you did. I couldn't believe it when you made a blind man see and deaf ears were open. Oh, and that, oh the Lazarus thing, how incredible is that? All these things, that these miracles, they like that. But when Jesus started talking about the hard things, in fact, they said, these are hard things. Who can believe them? Drinking blood and eating flesh? You know, I've come down from heaven. No, you, we were there. We heard rumors about your birth. I mean, it really blew their mind. And so they simply quit following. Now, now in between verse 66 and 67, Jesus asked a question. Now, let me ask you a question, lest I forget to do this. What if you were there? What if you're the inner circle? I mean, what, what, if, what if you heard the, the drink, the blood, and eat the flesh sermon? Wouldn't you be tempted at least to say, Jesus, that's not going to sell? They're not going to buy that. Go back, tell a few parables. Um, fix lunch again. They, they, they do that. Because, see, the apostles were very interested in the crowd. A couple reasons. One is the crowd was the buffer. As long as Jesus was popular... There was safety in that. The Pharisees weren't going to do much to Jesus as long as the crowd was following him. So there was a safety thing in that. But, but also this. If you're doing the bread thing and you're doing the healing thing and you're the inner circle, there's success in that. I mean, you know, if Jesus was being a rock star, and by that I simply mean he is the main attraction and you're the inner circle, you know, it's about him, but come on, so that's going to rub off on you. What happens when the crowd stops following? What happens when it's no longer popular? See, I, I, you know, I might be reading between the lines, and I'll, I'll confess that to you. But you've got to think somewhere the disciples might have been going, this isn't good. This isn't good. So, and I think that you know, Jesus could read their minds. You know, it's really cool because Jesus, you raise your hand and ask a question, and Jesus answered the question before you asked it. Because he could do that because he's God. So Jesus says, therefore, because of that, because many people quit following, Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? You don't want to unfollow too, do you? You don't want to turn back too, do you? And again, we can, we can kind of read in their minds. I, I, again, understand it's my interpretation. It's me speaking. But if I'd have been there... And I saw the crowd walk away, and I was hearing what he was talking about, eating flesh and drinking blood. I kind of maybe want to step back too. Things weren't going like I planned. And again, guys, think about 
on campus. Think about 500 feet underground in mine. Think about at school on Tuesday. It's safe here, but think about there. And the truth is, probably all of us have had a thought about unfollowing. Some of us, at some time or another, have had the thought cross our mind, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm glad salvation was free, but this following Jesus thing, it's hard. And it is. It is. You don't want to leave too, do you? And there's this pregnant pause. And so what, what are the circumstances? What things cause us to unfollow? Well, obviously, graduates... Very obviously, it's a transition. Again, some of you, Trenton, you were raised in Sunday school. And you're even going to a Christian college. But I bet you know something I already know. And that is this. Not every person at university is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. There are going to be people, people that Christian. You ran into it at Southwest, didn't you? There, there are people in our Christian colleges who kind of play the game. But, but a lot of you are going to secular colleges. And you're going to get there. And again, people are not going to believe like you believed all your life. You don't stop believing. The threat is not that you stop believing in God. It just becomes harder. And so the real, the real tendency is, in a time of transition, is to unfollow. Again, stop doing the things that kind of indicate you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It happens. It happens to adults. I've, I've seen several times. You know, it's really, here's what happens. Let me tell you what happens. Kids who are raised, in, even, even kids who are raised in church, they go to church, they graduate, and again, a portion of them unfollow for a while. Then they come back to the church because they need to get married. Okay, they need a preacher to do the ceremony. And so they get married. And we may get one or two visits after that. Okay, and then they're kind of gone. And then all of a sudden they have children. And when they have babies, something rings in their head and says, you know what, my mom and dad raised me in Sunday school, so we need to get in church so we can raise our own. Does this ring a bell with you? So you'll be amazed at the number of young adults who come back to church when they start having babies because they want their child to understand about God. So they come back. But here's a phenomenon that we have seen very, not unfrequently. When the kids are all gone and the empty nest happens, when you've raised the kids and I guess the need to set the example is gone, you unfollow. People who have gone to church all the lives of their children all of a sudden find themselves not in church. Now, fortunately, again, after five, six, seven years, sometimes less, sometimes more, they return. So times of transition, are, there's a great opportunity in a bad way, a negative way to unfollow. Be careful. Be careful. Now, there's other times, and you can guess this one, temptations. You know, when, when you know as a Christ follower what the Word of God says, you know, about, you know, premarital sex, about the sex thing, you know, and all of a sudden, he's there and he's good looking, or she's there and she's good looking, and he says, if you don't, I won't. And you compromise and sell out, and you unfollow. Because it seems at that time, he's worth it or she's worth it. Some of you have been in a happy marriage. And you've walked away from, by unfollowing because you were looking for happiness and you found it in somebody else's arms. Sometimes we're tempted to bend the rules. To, to reshape the rules because God wants me to be happy. Right? And every time we compromise, it's a process of unfollowing. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. 
Unfollowing is usually not a dramatic act. It's a process. Unfollowing is not a dramatic act. It's a process. Rarely do you just wake up one day and say, I'm done. I'm going to unfollow for a while. Generally speaking, it's a process. You'll go off to college and you'll go the first two or three weeks. And then somebody's going to say, why are you doing this? And you'll find out no one pats you on the back and says, we're so proud you're a Christian. And you find yourself unfollowing. You've been in a marriage bad for several years or many years. And it gives you an excuse to unfollow. And it's a process. And part of it happens. It it begins happening by bits and pieces, by small bites. It happens during transition. And we just talked about this. Was it two weeks ago? Trouble. Something happens. And your world is rocked. And you can't understand why God did or why God didn't. You can't understand why he allowed or why he didn't allow. And for many, many followers, that is a a reason, an opportunity to unfollow. And you find yourself unfollowing Jesus. It's incredible. I I think I would, I I know I've got a mic today so I can say, you know, kind of what I want. But if I was doing doing analysis, a lot of us have been there. If we didn't totally walk away, I can almost say with certainty most of us have walked away some. Something happened and we stepped back from God. We, we, you know how it is? You know, when you play, when you're following someone, you get further back and further back. and further. You're still following, but there's a big distance. I think I could say with certainty, all of us, at some point in our life, we may be followers, but boy, we're getting further and further from the leader. And a huge chunk of us have took a right turn when Jesus kept going straight. And we unfollowed. Now, I'm going to tell you up front. I've been doing this preaching thing for about 31, 32 years. I've been a follower of Christ for coming up on 39 years. And there have been times in my life when I, don't, I didn't totally walk away, but I followed back. I'm going to tell you something. It's not as good as when I'm close. It's just not. It's just not. Now, now there's a liar who will tell you that's great. There, first off, there'll be, and we're going to do the second part of the message. You get this in, but I'll give it to you a taste now. There are going to be some people... That would be glad to speak lies into your life. When you get to college, there'll be lots of guys. There'll be professors who will tell you that there's no God. I like what Andy Stanley said, and I'm going to give him all credit for this because it's just great. When you get to college, remember this. Your professors are smarter than you, but they're not necessarily brighter than you. Just because they've got the brains in the classroom doesn't mean they're right on the things pertaining to God. Just file that away. When your professor says, there is no God, God is dead, the Bible is not true, just follow away. He may have the masters of the doctrine. He may have that, as Jesse said, that doctrine in front of his name. But just because he's smarter does not mean he's writer. So, so what do we do? What, what, how, do we, how, do we, how do we not do that? Well, Peter, who often got things wrong, gets it really right. So after Jesus said... You don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter in verse 68 said this. This is probably the most important thing you're going to hear today. Lord, who will we go to? Who will we go to? Because here's what I know and you know. We follow. And Peter is saying, okay, Jesus, 
If we stop following you, if we want to step back, if we choose not to follow you, who are we going to follow? Who are we going to follow? And you need to understand that. When you, before you decide that you're going to unfollow, and you really, you've got to answer this question. If you're going to, you cannot wait to get away from your mom and dad's authority. You can't wait uh, till, till there's another opportunity in transition or troubles or, or temptation to unfollow. You need to answer this question. Who are you going to follow? If you're not going to follow Christ, who are you going to follow? Because you're going to follow someone. And Peter says these incredible words. Lord, where, who will we go to? It says, we believe, we believe, I'm sorry, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, after following you these, these years, we have come to a conclusion that you alone have the words or the way of eternal life. Now, now Jesus, we're going to be very candid with you. Our plan was, you become the king, we become the princess, you kill the Romans, we reign and live in the palace. That hasn't happened, Jesus. But where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You need to ask yourself that question. And you need to be willing to answer it. Before you walk away, before you go to school and quit following Jesus, before you, you know, in your marriage, you decide to quit following Jesus, before your career, you decide to quit following Jesus, you've got to answer that question. Because you are going to follow something. And Peter understood this. Listen carefully. I don't like what's happening. I don't like the circumstances. I didn't even like the sermon, Jesus. But whether I like it or not, it's you or nobody. Come on, that's a good chance for an amen. Brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, graduates, adults, mid-adults, senior adults, before you unfollow, who are you going to follow if you lead Jesus? You've got to know the answer to that. You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, we've seen what you've done. We've experienced what you've done. And we just come to the conclusion that that you are the Holy One. You are the Messiah. You are God's Son. And it's almost like, Jesus, you're inviting... Now listen carefully. You're inviting us to be a, some, a part of something really, really, really big. And if I was to unfollow, Peter would say, I, I would go back and I would rejoin my dad if he would take me back. I, I'd rejoin my dad or James and John would say, or join dad. And we'd go back in the fishing business. Um, I'd have a few more kids. I might have some grandkids. And then I'd die. And that's life. But Jesus, it's like you've... You've invited us to something really, really big. Now, let me tell you something. Graduates, hear me. If you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been invited to something much bigger than church three times a week. You've been invited to something a whole lot bigger than just keeping some rules. No sex until you're married. No this, no that, no this, no that. It is so much bigger than that. Followers of Jesus Christ, you have been invited to the eternal plan of God to make an eternal purpose and impact in this world and the world beyond. It doesn't get any better than that. Each one of you, I know some of you, some of you are choosing your careers based on the possibilities of income, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I bet at least some of y'all have gotten your head 
the right thing, that I want to make a difference. The, the millennial generation, only we heard today, only 15% of millennials are born-again Christians. But those who are born-again Christians want to make a difference. They don't want to go and sit in a church for, for three times a week and not make a difference. They don't want to be a part of a church where it's all about me. That's why so many church planners today in that generation are going to the hard places like East St. Louis, St. Louis and Chicago and Dallas and Seattle and Boston. And they're selling out. You know why? They've come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they've been invited to a big difference, to make a, a huge difference in the world because of Jesus Christ. So I don't know, graduates, I don't know. I hope you believe that. I hope you know that. I hope this man has imparted it into your life. And this guy, and most of the time, has imparted in your life. That being a Christian is not just going to church. It is making a difference in this world for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That makes it all worth living. Is it easy? No. Peter, Peter would eventually, tradition tells us, I should say that, Peter would eventually be nailed upside down to a cross. Tradition says he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Savior. I mean, all the guys but one that we know of, and that's John. John lived a natural life, but he was exiled on a rocky island. But all of them died. But you know why they died? Because they understood and they believed that they are part of something big. And that's something big is the kingdom of God. And that makes all the difference. And the greatest deterrent to unfollowing, unfollowing is believing that. And that way when the hard times come and troubles come, and, and when Satan comes and says, she likes you even though you're old and fat. Oh. When, when you're in that transition and, and mama's not there, or daddy's not there to make sure you do or don't. When you keep that focus, that wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. I am a follower of the Savior of the world. And as a follower of the Savior of the world, He has invited me to make an eternal difference in this world and the world to come. Why would I sell out for a one-night stand? Why would I sell out for a life of parties on Friday night? Why would I sell out for the things this world offers? No. Peter, what if it doesn't pan out right? I'm still following. Uh, Peter, what if it takes your life? I'm still following. Why? Because we've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ. And that makes it worthwhile. Would you bow your heads right there, please? Like I said, it doesn't matter... If you're graduating or not, I think you heard that very clearly today. But if you're here today, I just want to encourage you. And that's the invitation. I want to encourage you to ask that question. Who will we go? You alone had the words of eternal life. Before you unfollow, whether it be in three months on a college campus, or next week in the lounge at the office, or, or Wednesday morning at school making plans for Friday. And you decide, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to get in the unfollowing process. Where are you going?
Who are you going to follow? Now also this. Perhaps there are some people here today. And you've never followed in the first place. And you may go to church every week. I was a regular church attender when I met Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you whoa, whoa, whoa. That thing you were talking about, Dwayne, that pull, that, 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 that pull toward the truth today, that's the drawing of God. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And, and we're going to probably sing a verse, Dave, and, and as a corporate body. And then we're going to bow our heads and they're going to sing for us. So I'm, I'm trying to make it hard for you at all. But Brent's going to be standing down front. I know of one young lady today who's already trusted Jesus as her Savior. But maybe there's some more. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here every week. But today God showed you something like on a Sunday morning he showed me in 1975 that I had never followed. I was religious. I was moral. But I never followed. And perhaps the call for you today is the words of Jesus. Come, follow me. Maybe you're here today and you've already unfollowed. You're still in church. Or maybe in the process of unfollowing. And you know it. Maybe you want to come and just talk to God. Well, you can talk to God there. The altar is a cool place. But definitely take time to say, okay, God, I think you're speaking in my heart about unfollowing. And there's some habits, things going on in my life that are leading me away from you. I'm in a transition. I'm in trouble. I'm being tempted. And God, I think I really need to ask you to help me today. Because I'm fixing to unfollow. And you know what you'll find? He will. He will. So, God, thank you for this incredible opportunity to share this truth. Well, yes, I do pray for our graduates because their world, regardless if they're going to SIC or away from home, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Father, the world is fixing to change dramatically. And as I saw the faces up here, I believe I can say each one of these young people, these students, have made a commitment to you. Father, I pray as Christ followers, they will do exactly that. Follow you. Give them strength, give them protection, give them wisdom as they go into a new world in the time of transition to stay true to you, to be a Christ follower. I pray, Father, for uh, the adults in this room. Father, those of us who may have had a graduation in our past, and now we're, Father, doing life. Give us the courage and wisdom and boldness to follow you. And for my friend here, who maybe has never come to grips with your grace, the Christ of the cross, and their sin. Give them the wisdom to follow you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.